From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Thanks to a fortuitous discovery in his laboratory at Upstate, scientist William Kerr has focused his research on Crohn's disease, a major type of inflammatory bowel disease. Dr. Kerr is currently in Italy doing some cancer immunotherapy research. He's also the professor of pediatrics and microbiology and immunology at Upstate, and he joins us on the phone from Italy. Thank you for talking with us. Hi, Amber. Nice nice to be with you today. Well, tell me if I understand correctly. Crohn's disease is an inflammatory bowel disease that's treated with steroids and immunosuppressants, and at least currently it can't be cured. Is that correct? No, it it can't be cured, but it it can be managed uh, with some of the the therapies you mentioned, uh, things like steroids, which are broad-based immunosuppressive agents, but also there's more selective Means suppressive agents now, but um, of course, it's not ideal for anybody to be. Uh, the immune system is there for a reason, and it's not a good idea for someone to be suppressed. We, we would prefer someone not to be on immune suppressive drugs for uh, extended periods of time. But yes, it can be managed, and many patients do well on those therapies. And this is um, usually some something. Not. It's diagnosed in younger people. Uh, teens to, to it, it is. It can be a diagnosis as early as, you know, a couple months to a year old, uh, but uh, and then sometimes as adult onset, but typically younger adults. Now, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America says uh, up to 70% of patients eventually face surgery to repair damage right. or remove an obstruction. D- does that right. mean... They, well, the surgeons will uh, sometimes uh, have to go in and actually resect part of the gastrointestinal tract, literally cut out the really damaged and inflamed part where there's been, uh, you know, damage, such significant damage to the the tissue that it's no longer functioning properly, and that uh, can lead to uh, problems. Um, We we don't want our intestinal content spilling out into our body. That's uh, really dangerous, actually. Right, right. Well, do we know what causes Crohn's disease? Well, it's uh, not going to be any one single factor. There's both. So we get into here the, the debate, is it genetics or is it the environment, you know, what you eat? And and I think the, the what it's coming down to, it's a combination of both. Um, there are certainly some genetic mutations, and, and we verified that in the mouse with our, uh, making a mutant of a gene that caused inflammatory bowel disease. But uh, there may be situations where someone doesn't have a clear genetic uh, predisposition but still develops uh, inflammatory bowel disease, and perhaps that could be uh, something that uh, in their lifestyle or their environment that caused that. So, And then there's probably people who are, it's a mixture of both. They maybe have uh, some genetic predisposition to develop it, but uh, then also have some other lifestyle or environmental issues that trigger the disease. So it's uh, it's not going to be, a, a, you know, a single uh, overarching explanation for all cases of disease. So the work that you focused on with this gene, um, the SHIP gene? Right, the SHIP, SH, well, I'll just give you the... The actual SH2 containing an acetyl 5 prime phosphatase. <laughs> and so it's <laughs> ship, ship for short. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's why we use that acronym, so we don't have to torture people. Is this a gene that everybody has? Yes, uh, it's found in humans, it's found in uh, mice, 
dogs, cats, uh, even uh, fish have it. So it's uh, been a pretty good deg- uh, degree of evolutionary conservation. So, and then some of the people who have Crohn's have a, a problem with this gene or a deficiency? Or? Right. So that's the paper that we just uh, uh, were able to publish in PLOS uh, One. Uh, that's a journal. A, a Plus. scientific journal. Okay. Uh, it's an open access journal. Anybody can go online and find this paper uh, and not have to pay a charge to download it and look at it. But um, so the... The finding is we did a after we found that when we mutated the ship one gene in mice and show and found that they got a disease that very much looked like human Crohn's disease. They had severe inflammation in their small intestine, including strictures and fissures in their intestinal uh, tissue. You know, small holes or tears, if you will. And um, we said, well, maybe this since this gene is found in humans and it's conserved uh, between mouse and humans. Maybe we should go look and see if there's a problem. And um, the initial study we've done, which is now published, is with a group in Rotterdam. Uh, it was with Gwenny Fuller. Um, Gwenny was a postdoc with me uh, in um, at Upstate, but also uh, when I was still at Moffitt Cancer Center. But she moved to or came to Upstate with me, and she had access to a cohort of Crohn's disease patients at the Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam a huge medical center in Holland, and we analyzed the expression of the SHIP-1 gene at the protein level and found approximately 15% of patients, Crohn's disease patients, have little or no expression of uh, SHIP-1. So that said, told us that, hey, a significant percentage, about 15% uh, 15 of the Crohn's disease patients could possibly have something wrong with SHIP-1, just like we've, and that may be contributing or, or perhaps even causing their disease, just like the mutation that turned off the SHIP-1 gene in mice caused them to have Crohn's disease. Um, we've since validated, this, this, this study isn't published, but we're submitting uh, this paper for publication very soon. Uh, validated the findings in the, in the Dutch cohort uh, in a second cohort of human IBD patients in San Francisco, collaboration with Jay Ryan, a gastroenterologist at the San Francisco Veterans Hospital. And, um, and there again, looking at a larger patient population, almost 90 patients, we again see about 14, 15% of patients are ship uh, one, we call it deficient. They don't have enough expression, uh, abnorm- really abnormally low levels of the SHIP-1 gene are uh, expressed or turned on. Interesting. Well, I've got a few more questions, but this is Upstate's sure, HealthLink sure. on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking by phone with scientist William Kerr, a professor of pediatrics and microbiology and immunology at Upstate. Uh, so you plan to expand this and look at even more patients, right? There's right. Well, one of the most exciting things that's come, especially from the second study that um, that hasn't published yet. We published this, the first study in a small group of patients, but the second study was in a larger group of patients, almost 90 patients, and that allowed us to, because we had a larger number, allowed us statistically to ask, are the patients who are SHIP deficient, do they have more severe disease than any other problems? And in fact, they do. So. Uh, it, it seems that people who are patients uh, who have Crohn's disease patients who are SHIP-1 deficient, don't have enough SHIP-1 expression, have much more severe disease, 
In fact, they have a much higher probability that's statistically significant of having required that surgical resection we talked about earlier oh. in the interview. Uh, they're, 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 their disease has been so bad that the surgeon has not only had to go in once, but sometimes twice to remove uh, inflamed portions of their bowel or intestine. And so that is, you know, not the kind of outcome you want uh, in Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. You don't want to end up on a, on, on a surgery table. And, in fact, these patients who are SHIP-1 deficient have ended up um, uh, have a much higher probability of uh, frequency of having ended up having a surgical resection, not only once but twice. So now what we're hoping is we can now assay people early on, as soon as they're diagnosed, for whether their SHIP-1 expression is at a normal level or it's abnormally low. So is that abnormally low? Excuse me just a second. Is is that um, is that a genetic a blood test or how do you do that? It's a blood test exactly. We can uh, take some of the blood cells, just a couple million. It's not a lot of blood. It's basically a basically a tablespoon of blood. Perhaps even we can do it with smaller quantities and look by uh, both two different assays, but either one works, a flow cytometry assay um, or a uh, what's called a Western blot, where we're looking for expression of the protein, the SHIP-1 protein, in their blood cells. So it's not invasive. That's important. We don't have to endoscope them or um, do any kind of invasive assay. We just take a little blood out of their arm. Um, and, and do this assay, and then within a day or so, we can know the answer. What's exciting also is we found a molecular genetic marker at the RNA level that seems to highly correlate with them being SHIP deficient. They have an altered form of the SHIP-1 messenger RNA that oh. we can detect by a procedure called uh, RT-PCR, uh, reverse transcriptase uh, polymerase chain reaction. Uh, sorry, it's an acronym. But anyway, that assay is also very robust. So we're hoping we can have what's uh, some kind of prognostic indicator for uh, as soon as you're diagnosed. Like, are you going to have a mild form of Crohn's disease, and and we maybe can just sort of watch and follow you and see how you do, or are you likely destined to have a very severe form? And then we need to take what's called, the clinicians call a top-down approach. We, we then treat those patients with um, immune, very strongly suppressive immune suppressive drugs. Perhaps Humira would be a possibility and, and from the very beginning so that they don't end up on a surgeon's table. We don't want that. We don't uh, want to have so- anybody undergoing surgery. We don't want the disease to get that far. So the things you've already learned about this disease are informing its treatment already, right? Well, we hope so. Um, it's, it's early, but um, our analysis of this second cohort, as I mentioned, the larger patient cohort where we had larger patient numbers, has told us people who are SHIP-1 deficient don't have enough expression of the SHIP-1 gene. They have abnormally low levels or no expression of the SHIP-1 gene. Require surgical resection not, not just once, but sometimes twice. Um, so those are the kinds of patients we want to we would want to identify early as soon as they're diagnosed. No, are they SHIP-1 deficient? Do they not have enough SHIP-1 expression? And if they do, then maybe what, what should be done clinically, and this is uh, something I'm discussing with my clinical colleagues, my gastroenterology colleagues, 
could this be used as a test to treat those patients in what's called a top-down manner clinically. In other words, treat them with very aggressively with the most uh, advanced, usually higher risk, but we know this patient's going to not do well, or at least predicted from our assay for SHIP-1 expression, then let's not take the chance that they develop severe disease that requires surgical resection because we never, we don't want to have to go in and take anybody's intestinal bowel or intestinal tract out. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's not, we don't want the disease to progress to that severe stage. Um, and, and alternatively, someone who's not SHIP-1 deficient, we could just take a, a wait-and-see, uh, slow-as-you-go attitude or approach uh, to treating them clinically. Um, would, would you so uh, that, eventually, right. like going into the future, would you look at maybe trying to do something to that gene or repair that gene so that it... Right, right. So we're, we're still trying to understand at a, at a very basic fundamental molecular level what happens that the SHIP-1 gene is not expressed at the protein level appropriately. We don't yet have that answer. Um, in fact, that's why, as I mentioned earlier, my colleague and I, uh, clinical colleague, uh, Jay Ryan, and I'm also working in a pediatric cohort now with Pratik Wally at the Golisano Children's Hospital. So we're looking in, in children and adults. And both uh, Dr. Wally and Dr. Ryan um, and I are, are writing grant applications and also approaching uh, a rather large pharmaceutical uh, company who's interested in um, immune suppression in, in IBD um, and about funding for that kind of study. So if we can understand why this gene is not being turned on and expressed at the right level, abnormal levels, we could theoretically uh, then have a chance to either pharmaceutically or use some genetic tools to try to fix it. Wow, well, interesting. But that's, that's sort of down the road. Uh, we have to first figure out what's, what's going wrong, and then we can attempt to try to figure out to, or develop an approach to, to fix it. Well, sure. It's very interesting. My guest has been Professor William Kerr from Pediatrics and Microbiology and Immunology. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.